Good morning and welcome to Current Radio. It's Wednesday, January 10th. Today we delve into the legacy of America's first great environmentalist, inspiring Floridians to reconnect with nature, and we'll explore the fusion of Western science with traditional knowledge. Plus, we'll discuss how boosting microbiome science worldwide could potentially save millions of children's lives and reveal new algae species that are rewriting scientists' understanding of reef systems. This coverage and more, up next. Welcome to Current Radio's Science Station. Please enjoy today's selection of science news. Today, we're going to talk about a man who's been called America's first great environmentalist. His name is William Bartram, and more than 200 years after his death, he's inspiring a new generation to reconnect with nature. Charlotte, can you tell us more about Bartram and his legacy? Absolutely, Diego. William Bartram was a naturalist and writer who in the 18th century embarked on a four-year journey throughout the southeast of the United States. He documented his travels in a book called Travels, which is a mix of travelogue, spiritual memoir, and scientific catalog. His detailed observations of the landscapes, plants, animals, and people he encountered brought attention to many previously unheralded natural wonders in the South. It's interesting that his work is seeing a revival now, centuries later. Can you tell us more about that? Certainly. There's a group of enthusiasts who call themselves Bartramites, who are leading a revival of interest in Bartram's work. They're using his writings as a guide to explore the same southern route he took, and his holistic philosophy of nature is inspiring new scholarship and efforts to recognize his route nationally. In a time when climate change and population growth are threatening the wilderness, Bartram's vision of a future where nature is both protected and restored is more relevant than ever. It's fascinating how Bartram's work is not just a record of the past, but also a blueprint for the future. Can you give us an example of how his writings are being used today? One great example is Dean Campbell, a retired environmental engineer who leads tours along the St. John's River in Florida, following in Bartram's footsteps. Campbell has spent a lifetime studying the river with a well-loved copy of Travels in his boat. He uses Bartram's observations to understand the pre-colonial history of the river and envision what it might be again. Campbell's work is just one example of how Bartram's writings continue to inspire and guide those who are passionate about nature and conservation. It's truly inspiring to see how the work of one man can have such a lasting impact. Thanks for sharing this story with us, Charlotte. In a similar vein of impactful work, the intersection of indigenous knowledge and Western science is a fascinating area of study. We have a PhD researcher from the University of British Columbia who is working to combine these two perspectives in her work on invasive species and land management. Charlotte, can you tell us more about this? Absolutely, Diego. This researcher, a uh, Nlakapamuk's woman of mixed ancestry, had an existential crisis while working for an agency that managed invasive plant species. She realized that simply eradicating invasive species wasn't enough without a holistic land management plan in place. So she decided to connect her Western scientific knowledge with her indigenous worldview. So how does she go about integrating these two perspectives in her research? 
She involves a diverse group of experts in her fieldwork, including archaeologists, elders, soil scientists, plant scientists, and historical ecologists. Instead of focusing solely on getting rid of invasive plants, they ask, what do culturally important local plant species need to flourish? This approach led to a significant realization during the Cowichan Estuary Restoration Project on Vancouver Island. What was that realization? After two kilometers of dikes were removed to reconnect the estuary to wetlands, the land began to bloom with camas, a bright purple flower that's an important fiber source for coastal indigenous peoples. This led the researcher and the Cowichan tribe's land staff to realize that the estuary had been a crucial food source for local indigenous peoples, prompting them to rethink the restoration project. That's a powerful example of how integrating indigenous knowledge can lead to more effective and meaningful land management. What's next for this project? They're now using a combination of remote sensing technologies and oral histories to shape the land according to community values and needs. It's a shift away from a post-colonial baseline of restoration towards a more inclusive and holistic approach. Community-based researchers, elders, and knowledge keepers are playing a key role in informing the next steps. This is a remarkable example of how science can evolve when we incorporate diverse perspectives. Thanks for sharing, Charlotte. Speaking of diverse perspectives, the human microbiome, the collection of bacteria, fungi, and viruses that live on and in our bodies, is a fascinating field of study. However, there's a significant disparity in the data we have. Over 70% of published human microbiome data comes from European and North American populations, while less than 15% of the global population lives in these regions. Charlotte, could you shed some light on this issue and its implications? Absolutely, Diego. This disparity in data is concerning because the gut microbiota of individuals can vary greatly depending on where they live. This means that the development of microbiome-based therapeutics, which are currently being explored for diseases common in high-income countries, may not be effective for those living in poorer regions. These regions are often disproportionately affected by conditions like malnutrition and infectious diseases, which are also influenced by the microbiota. So it's not just a matter of representation in data, but also a matter of developing effective treatments. What steps are being taken to address this? There's a growing recognition of the need for more diverse microbiome data. Last year, a workshop was held at the Wellcome Genome Campus in the UK to explore how to accelerate global microbiome research. The participants agreed that achieving the potential of microbiome science to improve global health will require data collection from diverse populations worldwide, training of researchers in low- and middle-income countries, and development of local infrastructure for specimen analysis and clinical studies. And how does the microbiome affect our health? Our microbiota plays a crucial role in our health. For instance, the gut microbiota develops in a definable way with the arrival of one species influencing which species colonizes the gut next. This ecological succession begins at birth and is key to healthy growth. Disrupting this assembly through pathogen infection or undernutrition can lead to health issues like wasting and stunting in children. Moreover, the mix of microbes in the gut and the functions of individual species change throughout a person's life and vary depending on where an individual lives. 
So what needs to be done to ensure that microbiome research benefits all populations, not just those in high-income countries? There are several steps that can be taken. Firstly, establishing regional centers of excellence dedicated to microbiome research in low- and middle-income countries would enable long-term sampling of the microbial ecology in a population. Secondly, developing microbial culture collections, particularly from children, would provide a valuable resource for microbiome research. Lastly, fostering robust, long-term collaborations between well-resourced laboratories in Europe and North America and researchers in low- and middle-income countries is crucial. This would help train scientists from these countries to become leaders in microbiome research in their own regions. It's clear that a more inclusive approach to microbiome research could have far-reaching benefits for global health. Thanks for your insights, Charlotte. Now, shifting our focus to the natural world, in the heart of the world-renowned Great Barrier Reef, a groundbreaking discovery has been made that is reshaping our understanding of this World Heritage-listed landmark. Charlotte, can you tell us more about this discovery and its implications? Absolutely, Diego. An international team of marine scientists led by Griffith University has identified and officially named four species of algae new to science. These algae, part of the Porolithon genus, play a crucial role in cementing the delicate frameworks of coral reefs and sustaining marine biodiversity. The discovery challenges previous taxonomical assumptions and enhances our understanding of these algae's ecological role in the coral reef ecosystem. Could you tell us more about these new species and their significance? Certainly. The four new species have unique characteristics and are found in different parts of the Coral Sea, Great Barrier Reef, and Lord Howe Island. They have been named Porolithon lobulatum, Porolithon parvulum, Porolithon panaculum, and Porolithon hauensis. These species can be distinguished based on features like their growth form, margin shape, and internal anatomy. This discovery emphasizes the need for further exploration and conservation of the Great Barrier Reef and its unique inhabitants. What does this mean for the conservation of the Great Barrier Reef? This discovery not only adds to the rich biodiversity of the Great Barrier Reef, but also highlights the importance of continuous research and conservation efforts. Pyrolithon species are very sensitive to the impacts of ocean acidification and warming. It's urgent that we recognize and document this diversity, given the potential risks of losing this diversity to climate change. As Associate Professor Diaz Pulido, the research team leader said, we can't protect what we don't know. A powerful reminder of the importance of scientific research in conservation efforts. Thank you for your insights, Charlotte. And with that, we conclude our stories for today on Current Radio. Looking forward to seeing you back here tomorrow.